episode 163 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James Langer, joined today by Ryan Top and Brad Ford. Paul's out traveling for work, but he's going to be back next week. In the meantime, how are we holding up after a pretty long week, guys? I couldn't even begin to describe what this week has been like. It has been an absolute roller coaster and just anxiety and all kinds of stress. And I'm glad that it has come to an end. Did something happen? Yeah. <laughs> oh, free agency. Yeah, We're all worried yeah, about free agency. The, yeah. the, the Robbie Ray signing took a lot out of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I saw that. And I first, the first thing I thought of was, was, uh, was us. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> there, there goes everybody's prediction. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I mean, I've no. been predicting that one for a while. And, uh, ew. Ew. Oh, well. but I mean, you know, they, they stepped up to the plate. Eight million dollars for Robbie Ray is like a substantial. That was kind of a splash of of water to me. Going, huh? Maybe the free agent market won't be in completely horrible this year for players because him getting eight million was substantial. Yeah. Or the Blue Jays are just dumb. We'll find out. I mean, it, it could be, <laughs> but like I haven't noticed the Blue Jays being super dumb. Have you? No, but I mean, they did. They did Let's trade probably- for him, right? So they probably want to make sure, like they get something out of it but yeah the problem with whether we project the blue jays to be dumb is they have just mostly had like good draft and development right Mm -hmm. like none of their team the good side of their team has really been built from acquisition so far so even when you look at like the players they brought in last year they brought in travis shaw and i was like oh yeah good good like all right oh yeah 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 but i mean other than that you're yeah you're right so yeah they have one good pitcher who (laughs) <laughs> can we just be upset for a moment to think about how the Dodgers lost Rio and uh, Maeda and weren't hurt at all? <laughs> and just, yeah, kept on keeping on, replaced them with Tony Gonsolin and uh, Trevor May, and like they'll be much, much better. Well, I don't know if they'll be much, much better, but because Hunjin Ryu has actually been a really, really good pitcher, and it's been kind of under the radar. People didn't realize quite how good he was. Might has been a little bit more just, you know, your standard standard guy, but Ryu's been really, really good. Ryu's been part. really good, but his injuries have kind of diminished his performance where people thought last, like uh, 2019 was a huge fluke. Yeah. Yeah, so, that's true. So, also, it's Dustin May. Oh, I you always gave say us tr- the Minnesota one. Yeah, the Minnesota guy. <laughs> I always do that, too. Well, and I also always uh, mistake May with Mitchell White, one of their many, many, many pitching prospects, because they that's what they seem to have. But, you know, it was funny. You think about Robbie Ray getting $8 million in a market where nobody in MLB was willing to pick up Brad Hand's $10 million contract option for one year. Yeah. That's weird, right? Like. Eight million for eight million for for Robbie Ray. I like I don't begrudge them at all. And I don't think it's like necessarily a terrible investment, but it seems like somebody would have picked up Brad Hand for ten million dollars on a waiver claim. Right. Like if if that's what the market's going to be. So the Jays seem to be kind of out of step with the rest of the league on some. Yeah, It's almost like the Blue Jays weren't on the collusion meeting. Like (laughs) no one sent them the Zoom invite. No. Yeah, they're not. They're not allowed to collude because they're from Canada. (laughs) <laughs> what what's the contract when you convert it to canadian dollars is it cheaper <laughs> <laughs> all right so yeah off seasons are underway kind of anticipating a, a quieter one for the brewers but who knows we'll see first we are sponsored by carbon four brewing this week 
Carbon Four may have single-handedly gotten me through this week. I'll just put that out there. Uh, whether it's Block Party, Outer Space, the flagship Fantasy Factory IPA, or any of their other great beers, you can find them at your local grocery store, or you can go to their tap room on the east side of Madison. That's on Kinsman Boulevard. They actually just recently expanded their patio area to kind of safely accommodate more people, so check it out. It's been a beautiful weekend to sit outside with the beer here in Madison. Uh, they're also planning to put up those igloo things in the winter, so you can go check them out and stay warm and safe as well. Uh, reminder, you can also get a 20% discount on some really cool Carbon 4 merch online just by using our promo code. That's MKE Tailgate when you order at Carbon4.com. That's Carbon 4 Beer Brilliance. You can also help support our podcast network at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate for just five bucks a month. Our ball and glove and above patrons get that minor league extra podcast with Ryan and Brad, as well as Paul's reporting as eligible mini pods throughout the year. You get a preview of the Packers game kind of midweek every week, uh, kind of learn what to look out for. And he's been very good with those. And Packers actually beat the 49ers this week. I was going to say, did, did the Packers play well this week? Yeah, I, I, I was expecting uh, the 49ers to just run all over them, but the 49ers don't have any NFL players right now. So that's kind of helpful. They do not. It, and it does help when you don't have when you don't have to actually play like opposing players who are of the level that you're at. <laughs> right. When, like, when they're on their fourth uh, running back, a, a wide receiver who was an emergency player position before <laughs> the game started at the best tight end in the league isn't there. Yeah, and the starting quarterback. Still, yeah, still good to know though that the Packers can beat an XFL team. So, you know, <laughs> right. first, wasn't really sure about that after the the beating the the Vikings gave them. But yeah, so a little bit longer layoff for the Packers now. But uh, Paul will still have all your preview stuff next week uh, once he's back from traveling. Free agency is open, so anyone's able to sign if they want to. It's just kind of a question of. Uh, which teams really want to take the chance on spending money right now. So uh, not a whole lot of action, but there are, you know, there will always be predictions. And so a couple of outlets kind of put out their predictions for the Brewers. I saw ESPN is predicting uh, the Brewers sign Tommy LaStella. Uh, it would be a nice little bat to add to the lineup. Also bringing back Ryan Braun. And they also like talked about trading for Josh Bell from the Pirates, which I thought was kind of interesting. I don't know if the Pirates would trade him in the division, but he's coming off kind of a down year, but you know he can hit. <laughs> I can't see them trading him inside the division just because they don't want to deal with that public blowback. And I, I it, that seems unlikely, but he would definitely fit with what the Brewers need at this point. That would He would definitely help. I don't know what you would have to give up for it, probably more than when the Pirates did that... Uh, the deal for uh, Garrett Cole, they did mm. not get much back. And I think they've sort of been in a tough position ever since that because they don't want to have, you know, especially having a guy like traded in the division. If you traded him and then he blew up and was hitting a bunch of home runs in your park, that would really sort of continue to rub salt into the wound and continue to reinforce bad narratives that they probably want to get away from because they've completely changed their front office since then. Yeah, I don't think you're getting a huge prospect package for someone like Josh Bell, who's got kind of a lot of warts in his game. You know, he's a very good power hitter, uh, always seems to hurt the Brewers at Miller Park. So that that would be nice to see him actually hit home runs for the Brewers at Miller Park. Maybe if if they can't get a huge return for him, maybe that works in the Brewers' favor because they don't necessarily have a lot to give. I don't right, because he's really only had that one good season last year, right? 
Uh, yeah, he's kind of been up and down. Um, this last year was a was a rough one, rough one, I should say, but it was a rough one for a lot of people. So I, I don't know how much we can read into that, but you know, tends to strike out a, a fair amount. And yeah, he also has two years until free agency. Yeah, but I realize this is not at all connected to the current Pirates organization, but they traded Aramis Ramirez to the Cubs. Oh yeah, they have they have PTSD for a lot of stuff like that. <laughs> Yeah, including seeing, you know, half their team in the World Series on the Rays after the Chris Archer trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely going to be a challenging season for the Pirates. I just thought that was interesting and kind of random. I hadn't really seen that thought. Um, I don't think it's much of a rumor. It's kind of like, hey, this kind of makes sense. Right. This is definitely one of those this would fit sort of situations as opposed to a we're hearing that they're actually working on it. Right. Because, you know, the Brewers do have a need at first base that also kind of led uh, MLB trade rumors to predict Carlos Santana to the Brewers, which would be another similar bat like that, a power corner infield bat, uh, which is really what they need. And they also linked the Brewers to Tommy LaStella. So <laughs> I think a lot of folks are kind of landing on Tommy LaStella, whether it's third base or, you know, that shift all over the infield offensive player. Uh Cheaper DJ LeMahieu, I suppose, would probably be the way to look at that. I was going to say, <laughs> DJ LeMahieu would be a really good fit for the Brewers. He would fit a lot of what they need, which is, you know, on base. Like, they need guys yeah. to get on base to put sort of towards the top of that lineup. That would be a really big deal for them to add somebody like LeMahieu. The question is just, you, what's it going to cost? What I'm sure there is a price point where they would look at that and... Th- LeMahieu is still flexible enough positionally that you can play him in a bunch of different places and have that work. Because I I know he's played a bunch of first base and second base in recent years. Has he played over at third much at all? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So like he would he would fit a lot of what they need, but I can't see them going more than say two years on him, and it would have to be at the right AAV for that to happen. Yeah, he played- so. He played uh, 11 games there last season, which is a lot in context. That's one sixth of the games. Mm-hmm. And then uh, 52 there in 2019. Yeah. And I mean, he he's he was super valuable for the Yankees when they had, you know, Glaber Torres missed a good chunk of the season and he, he they were able to slot him in wherever. So, yeah, that's one name I guess we could use to answer our first Patreon question uh, comes from Jay Google. He's asking who are some realistic targets the Brewers will look at at the corners specifically. Uh, he also mentions Tommy Lestella, Carlos Santana, I guess, Brad. Uh, any other names jumping off the page for you? Hassan Kim. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I saw that, too. That seems interesting. Right. I mean, the Brewers love to pick up uh, Korean prospects. So, I mean, he is a little bit more high tier i think than a lot of the guys they bring over because normally they bring over like revamped veterans but we know that they have a decent scouting system then they feel that they can appropriately evaluate players in that league we are looking at a guy who last year in 137 games hit for a 926 ops you never really want to look at homers from there because it's uh very inflated but you know, it has a decent power bat. Uh, seems to, from the reports we have, play the corner well. Yeah, his zips projections, Brad, look really, really good. I have them up right now. So Simborski has him hitting 274, 343, 470 for next year, which would be outstanding. Yeah, I mean, I'd take that. It's a, a K percent of 16.8%. They don't expect him to strike out a lot. And that is something that the Brewers could probably use 
some guys who who don't strike out quite as much. It's it's not as big a deal, I think, as a lot of people perceive it to be. But I do think it's something they could look towards reducing where possible. It, it depends on what the market for him ends up being. Uh, Korean foreign players tend to get a lot less money than the Japanese players. It just seems to go that way, especially when you're looking at position versus pitching because it's pretty pitching there are other analytics that you can use to kind of predict like spin rate you can Mm -hmm. look and see like okay the pitch actually moves like this we project it to have this type of success if we pitch him like this pitcher who has similar statistics there there's a lot that's different when you're looking at transitioning offense to another league and really facing consistently pitchers that they're not used to facing so right. it'd be interesting to see what their projection is for him, but I know they're very confident in their scouting of the KBO and the players that are over there. So that'd just be an interesting name that maybe is the highest hopes we can have. Otherwise, I feel like outside of DJ LeMahieu, you're looking at a group in the first base and third base category that it's fall not, into not great. <laughs> yeah, they're all in like the same bucket, right? Like I'm pretty confident I mean, Brewers we'll have tried Brock. multiple of those names already. Yeah. If you look at the list. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we can rule out Brock Holt and Eric Sogard. Yep. Eric Justin Turner maybe. is yeah. probably the second player after DJ LeMayhew you could predict coming back, but I don't know uh the three of us have some salty feelings about that He's regarding going the Dodgers anyway. That's fine. Yeah. It always seems to go that way. <laughs> I also don't want Ryan Zimmerman on my team, but otherwise you're looking at a lot of, I mean, Eric Thames is there. Justin Smoke is there. Like you said, it's a lot of names they've tried out already. Uh, a lot of guys who are in the twilight years of their career who don't really show anything. Todd Frazier, I guess, could be a little interesting in terms of just adding more power to the lineup, but he definitely isn't an incredibly valuable hitter anymore. So you're looking at a lot of guys who don't really add what I think fans want their team to add to this team. So unless they trade something, like if you trade uh, Orlando Arcia in his control for a first baseman in their control, and you just try to do a swap along that nature, you're not really looking at getting a good improvement. I think this off season that will excite fans. I think the best case scenario right now is you sign Jed Jerko just because you know what he can offer when he's healthy. And that's, I mean, I'm no Jed Jerko hater, but I think that's sad. (laughs) (laughs) It's not going to sell a lot of season tickets. Here's a thought. What about Jock Peterson? That is a thought. Uh, Left-handed bat plays well. (laughs) How many times can we say that? As many as needed, Brad, as many as needed. (laughs) I had thought of Jock Peterson, and he has played first base. Uh, I think he's one of the more interesting candidates, especially because he can provide that defensive backup in the outfield. All jokes aside, there's no way that bat doesn't play up in Miller Park, right? No, it, it definitely would. And I especially the, the powers too. So yeah. it's true. Like he he has hit at Miller Park every time he comes there. So yeah. And I'm not saying that you would platoon him strictly, but you would be able to with depth options that you have, you would be able to basically not have to play him against tough lefty pitchers and be able to, to shade away from that and be able to then allow uh, Avi Garcia to not have to face some of the tougher righty pitchers too. Even though I think you'd still want them both in the lineup on most days, you know, 80% players or something, but you could get them out of some of their worst matchups 
that way between that and using the DH and potentially first base for, for Jock Peterson. I think he's a bat that can make a significant difference to your lineup. I think when you're looking at what his career projections can be, you're looking at something more consistent with the around 250 that he's shown in the past versus the 190 that he hit last year. I Again, weird years, weird year. Just ignore it. I think when you're looking at potential for bats that are fun to gamble on with a high impact to make a positive change to your lineup, while also probably not cost, he's probably going to cost more than like your Eric Thames, Justin Smoke bucket, but not much more than that, right? Because his performance hasn't been that significant. Yeah, I would think he would be more in the Avi Garcia, maybe a little bit less bucket, depending on what the the market bears this winter. Sure. I guess along the same lines of uh, fun to think about, don't know how well it fits. How about Didi? He's out there. Didi Gregorius. Uh, I can only, I have wanted to mention him, but I can only dream for one off season. <laughs> <laughs> Plus he was awesome. Well, this last year with the Phillies, he was, so uh, I'm so wondering what his market get, is going to be like. Yeah. He's, he's probably going to get a multi-year deal. Yes. He had a one sixteen WRC plus after signing that one year deal with the Phillies. That was for about 14 million. So I would imagine you're thinking, possibly along those lines just over multiple years it looks like mlb trade rumors has him projected for the reds go figure yeah three years uh, i million. don't think so i don't see yeah. the reds <laughs> not after no i, I can't yeah, well, not everyone else is year. crying poor like the brewers can at least at least cut budget and can yeah. say like okay like we can maybe spend on one guy and then do a bunch of like minor league options yeah. and see like what happens I was just looking at the list, and the three years, thirty-nine million for DD does not seem, I guess, outrageous in a normal year. But again, you don't know what other teams' budgets yeah. are looking at. So, well, and now that Robbie Ray is getting one-year, eight million dollar contracts, hell, why not give him <laughs> project four years, seventy million? Sure, but I guess if the choice is between DD and uh, you brought up Hassan Kim, uh, MLB TR has him projected at five years, forty million, which you know for a uh, 25 year old is not a oh that that screams david stearns doesn't it yeah that really sounds like a 25 year old with that kind of upside for 40 million plus a posting fee i mean yeah that's that's a longer term deal maybe you go that route instead of going a more veteran route like dd but then you um, have yelich kim hira urias it's all locked up oh yep yeah i mean you just hope that they all produce then but like uh you know at least the team control is there and they're kind of locked up for for the time being so and there's positional Um, flexibility there the the kim thing is really it is really interesting and really intriguing one thing i will say yes they've brought players from korea over but they've been players who had previously been in the u.s majors yeah Yeah. you're talking about josh limblum and thames we're not talking about having brought over guys who've never played in the U S before. So the, that's, it is a different situation. It would be very interesting if you could get them on the record and really talking about it, how much they, they value that information, the, the previous U S information and how much they're really going on what the player did once they got over to Korea in, you know, in the case of Lindblom and Thames. So it, that'd be really interesting. In previous off seasons, he's talked about he being David Stearns, how much they like really trust in the video and statistic information they're getting from the KBO and how they really think that they have figured out a solid way to scout those players. 
that's why I kind of feel like, yes, they might be relying on projection information from what they accomplish versus what they become when looking at the two side by side. But I think when you're looking at just their, they've obviously out, been allocating resources over the years to watching that and be better at scouting talent than everyone else in the league. And that's why kind of where they've been, even when you look at some of their draft history, they like to watch for the spots that are currently undervalued and try to predict and beat out their peers when it comes to getting places that are going to be valuable down the road and predicting what is going to be something that they can really benefit from. So they've obviously invested a lot of resources in the KBO thinking that that's true. And this could be a situation where that comes into play. Well, it, we just have to see. Plus, I mean, if they do five years, they'll have a year of arbitration. <laughs> there you go too. Yeah. I think kind of along Ryan's point too, with Thames and Limbloom, there is at least a before product that you could look at and kind of gauge the improvements too. you know, like, before Eric Thames went to Korea, he struck out a lot, but he didn't walk. And then you see him improve his patience in Korea. Mm-hmm. Uh, Josh Lindblom didn't really have much in the way of stuff in the U.S. the first time around. He goes to Korea, learns a bunch of breaking stuff. That kind of, So it like the changes are more tangible. You can see that in the video, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, with someone like Kim, like Brad was saying, has never played in the U.S., has never doesn't you know, hasn't faced that level of competition before, too. So, you know, Thames and, and Limbloom at least have some understanding of how they can use these new skill sets and apply it to what they've already seen. You know, Kim would be coming over not having any experience at all against, you know, major league players, and maybe that's a little bit different. I know a way to fix this. Yeah. You sign Kim. Hmm. You have Josh Lindblom live two years in Korea. But you, <laughs> you bring in Kim's personal idol, Eric Thames, to platoon at first base, hoping for a rebound season. I don't know that he's his personal hero, but based on what I understand about how Korea views Eric Thames, this seems to be the truth. He is uh, not <laughs> literally in Korea. It's truthiness. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you bring Eric Thames back. You make a lot of fans happy because he, he's a town favorite. You you bring him into platoon at first base, and suddenly have someone who can walk him through what he needs to learn to really excel at major league baseball. Plus, he gets to play beside his idol. It's like bringing one of the farm prospects up, and they get to play beside Christian Yelich. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there you go. You've got it all mapped out. So we'll we'll just uh, send this podcast. Is this going to be? <laughs> Like they're gonna bring back Eric Thames, and that's gonna be like real. Like when they that's uh, be the crowd pleaser of the they <laughs> the they, they no, it's gonna be like they sign Manny Machado's uh, best friend. The White Sox <laughs> are signing Manny Machado. It's gonna be like that type <laughs> of stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So here, speaking of bringing guys back, I wanted to run a thought by you guys. If the Brewers got a really strong sense that Ryan Braun was not interested in really coming back, that that was not going to happen. And once we get further deeper into the the postseason, how would you feel about bringing Michael Brantley back as primarily a DH, but he could play some outfield too? Is that something you'd be interested in? Schemer hasn't projected again, twelve point six percent K. That is that is very very low. Two eighty six, three fifty one, four fifty two, and again a left handed bat. That power would play up in Miller Park <laughs> a little bit, like down that line. I, I mean, uh, I'm just saying, I mean, guys. I'm just saying. 
that'd always be something I'm interested in. The risk with Michael Brantley isn't whether he's going to perform well. It's whether he's going to be healthy. That's that is true. So any yeah. any year he's been healthy, he's always put up respectable numbers. It's just those years come few and far between. So there, there's always the risk in that, which I think are going to uh, deflate his numbers always. If they sign him, I'm sure they're comfortable with him, and I wouldn't be upset about it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Do we know if he was offered a qualifying offer? I don't, uh, I don't believe so. No, so. he was not. The, okay. uh, six, there were six players who were offered a qualifying offer, and I had to write them down in an article, and I forgot their names. <laughs> <laughs> I just know Kevin Gossman was one because it was like, did he even like let the ink dry on that offer before he signed it immediately? But yeah, um, but we already have a couple of refusals. So it's Bauer, yeah. Gausman, LeMahieu, Real Modu, um, Real Modu. Why can't I say his name today? Uh, Springer, Stroman, which uh, Bauer rejected his. I think Stroman is project- rejected to uh, reject his. I don't get how any player is not like, yeah, 18 million. Let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I think. In I know there's a lot of he wants a multi-year deal, but yeah, like. And I think Gosman too. I think the hope is that he gets two or three at less than 18 million, but like the Giants right. are treating it as a, a fallback option, which I don't know how you put yourself in a position where giving Kevin Gosman like $18.6 million is, is the safe fallback option. But I mean, I've also they seen... have piles of money and don't care about spending it on a one year deal for a guy. So because yeah. the Giants aren't expecting to contend next year. I think they're they're thinking he could be helpful to us and we could potentially flip him at the deadline and get something for him. So, I mean, they almost beat the Brewers for a playoff spot. So I don't know if we can say they're not expecting to contend. Yeah, but I mean, they don't have the core. <laughs> I mean, that was unexpected, too. But I, yes. So I don't know. I, who knows? A lot of this talk for the Brewers is cir- circled around the offense because it was so pitiful. And that may have caused some eyebrows, I guess, to be raised when earlier this week, the Brewers announced their coaching staff next year, and it was largely the same. Uh, Andy Haynes will return as hitting coach, much to the dismay of the JS online comment section, I'm sure. <laughs> Is that still a thing? Do they still have comments on articles? I'm pretty sure they we'll do. Unfortunately, do I don't believe they have. Or we have that Twitter account anymore. Yeah. Get on that, Andy. Um, oh, it, it still exists. It's just, you know, <laughs> hibernating. Yeah, right. Yeah. It comes out as needed. Yes. Yes. Anyway. Yeah. Andy Haynes coming back. So there's, I'm sure, grumbling in certain quarters of uh, Brewers Twitter. But Chris he Hook, won that. He won it back. He's he hitting coach back. for life. That's right. <laughs> Yelich hit the home run. <laughs> <laughs> he fixed him uh, for a day. That declaration. Yeah. He hitting coach for, for life day. for a day. <laughs> he i i said andy haynes is hitting coach for life if christian yelich hits a home run here it was the game after he spent like 15 hours with andy haynes and it's all the broadcast to talk about he hits a home run bada bing bada boom andy haynes is hitting coach for life i'm sorry it's the yeah, rules it's, those are the rules <laughs> that's just how contracts work legally mm-hmm. binding contract on twitter yeah yeah for what it's worth uh david stern says he believes in the process with andy haynes and jacob cruz uh even with the poor results, I guess, uh, lifetime contract, notwithstanding, Brad, are you surprised that they're staying on? Or I guess I'm not surprised that they just decided not to make any rash decisions based on a really weird year. Cue up Ryan's Bart Simpson's gif of, or I will not have takeaways from a 60 game season. <laughs> it's yeah. one of those things where if they trust Andy Haynes's process, I think we get most scared that Christian Yelich was bad. And they're like, well, if you can't help Christian Yelich be good, 
how can we trust you? I think that's what a lot of fans get scared about in general. But when you look at all the number of people who are perennial MVP candidates who had pretty crappy seasons, I think it's easy to understand that Haynes is not to blame. There's other factors at play. If the team has a plan in place and wants to use that plan or and believes that following that plan is what's going to lead them to success, then you should, and they believe Haynes is on board with that and teaching that in a way that works, you absolutely should keep him on board. It's hard for me to blame the organization for being stable. I think overreaction is often what leads organizations to failure. However, at the same time, as a Wisconsin sports fan, isn't this like a little bit of you gets afraid about keeping the defensive coordinator on for like a year too long? This also isn't the same thing at all because professional hitters are already good hitters and hitting coaches have minor impacts on that when it comes down to it. The hitting coach is really there for the players who are trying to rebound careers, who are uh, just arriving to the majors and getting used to getting into a routine, getting used to getting scouting in and preparing for specific opponents. That's really what hitting coaches are for at the major leagues, unlike a defensive coordinator who is responsible for actually running the defense. So, no, not the same. It doesn't concern me. It, it, I trust the organization's evaluation process on it. Christian Yelich hit 329, 429, 671 for a 1.1 OPS, which, by the way, was considerably better in 2019 than he was in 2018 overall. And he did that with Andy Haynes as a sitting coach. So if you're if you're saying that, like that, Andy Haynes, like broke Christian Yelich or something, well, he had plenty of success with him in 2019. So that that just doesn't make any sense. I think I buy into the theory more that Christian Yelich's broken knee broke Christian Yelich more than anything Andy Haynes did. Uh, but I, I mean, at the very late, yeah, I'm with you guys. I didn't expect any major changes, especially, you know, considering the very small sample sizes, the fact that the Brewers were not the only ones that struggled to hit this year. I think it's just really easy to kind of chalk a, chalk the entire season up to just a really weird two months that everybody just tried to get through without focusing too much on excelling, <laughs> you know, just like everybody else, the rest of us this year, we just want to try to get through it as opposed to maybe striving to go above and beyond. So uh, to me, that, that that's not too surprising. I guess the only real surprise was that uh, Ed Cedar is not going to be on the Brewers coaching staff for the first time in like 30 years. Yeah, but he's not leaving the organization. So no, he's staying with the organization. He just won't well, be the third base coach anymore. It, it really is just leaving the an on the field coaching role. For, yeah. From what I understand is he's going to be working with players before the game. He just isn't going to be an sure. active participant of what of the in-game coaching yeah. staff. Yeah. So they're keeping him on as an instructor. I, I think it's a good phase out for Eddie. I don't know if this is what he wanted or the organization's forcing it on him. But also, I always think it's beneficial for organizations to bring in new voices after a time period anyway. I think even if you've had a good relationship with a manager for a long time, it's sometimes it's just the best thing for the organization to switch up and go to a new person just to get new voices in the room. So... As much as I, I, we all love Eddie, I think this is beneficial. I'm happy they're still keeping him employed and helping him do his thing. But I, I definitely think there's value in adding, in just rotating what's happening. Yeah, and we don't have to watch him dab when Orlando Arcia hits a home run anymore. So that's, I guess, a small bonus. <laughs> <laughs>
going to have to come up with some different celebrations if it's Jason Lane at third base instead. I thought it was interesting, too, that uh, Quentin Berry, pinch running extraordinaire, is joining the staff as a base running co- as a base coach, which that's yeah. kind of interesting to me. Like, well, you know who it's really you know, interesting to hmm. former host J.P. Breen. Oh, yeah. J.P. Oh, yeah, that's that's his guy. So he is he's all about the Quentin Berry. So he is ecstatic that uh, that Quentin is back in the fold. Though I think he had been around. He just wasn't. He had been, I think. Yeah. yeah. Since retiring from baseball, he accepted a coaching position with the Brewers. I think that was that's been the last two seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously he has been doing something that the Brewers like to be promoted to this role and them to basically move Ed Cedar to make room for him in this role. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't I, I don't think they specified uh, which between um, Barry and Jason Lane would be first and which would be third base. But I, you know, somebody with Quentin Barry's state base stealing skills, I think, would be a pretty solid first base coach. That think. tends to be the thing, right, is the guy yeah. who helps people steal bases is the first base coach. That was where Davey Lopes always was. And yeah. Was and considered Lopes, sort of the master of the first yeah. base coaches. Yeah. And he, I he don't an really first base coach. I don't really want Quentin Berry at third base anyway, because I feel like he'd be thinking, like, could I make this throw and like waving <laughs> the returning Jed Jerko around? <laughs> but, yeah, like I'm if I'm running, I'm scoring. But yeah. <laughs> and he, he just like Jason Lane at least can be like, could my uh, like large 40 year old frame make this yeah. run? Nope. Hold it up. Yeah. yeah. Jason Lane is much more Jed Jerko. In that way, so maybe right, right. Maybe, he can relate to uh, a wider exactly. portion of the audience than Quentin Berry. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So yeah, it, it's kind of interesting. So like mild shakeups, I guess, with the coaching staff, but nothing too major. Which you know, again, it's not really within David Stern's DNA to to make sweeping decisions based on very limited data sets, right? So uh, doesn't mean that uh, Andy Haynes won't be in trouble if they still can't hit next year, but us his life as a hitting coach right so we'll just have to see how that goes on the pitching side happier news i guess devin williams is one of three finalists for the rookie of the year that award will be announced on monday night so by the time a lot of you listen to this he may have already won or may have not we'll see philadelphia's alec Baum and san diego's jake cronenworth the other two finalists in the national league if he if Devin Williams wins, he'd be the first reliever since uh, Craig Kimbrell to win Rookie of the Year. That was almost 10 years ago already in 2011. Uh, I guess, Ryan, does Devin Williams win Rookie of the Year? I think there's a chance, especially because when these votes were cast at the end of the year, Devin Williams was really, really like the kind of the talk of, of baseball in a lot of ways. Yeah, he was he was a big deal that way. And Cronenworth, I think, did sort of his best work a little bit earlier in the season like he didn't I don't think he completely flatlined at the end but he was the the big story after a month a month and a half whereas Devin Williams it really took off more towards the end and he started getting a lot of attention that way so I think he's got a I think he's got a good chance and I think it's kind of it is probably between those two I think it's it's one of those guys is going to be the one who who gets it so yeah, yeah. I can't re- I can't read Cronenworth without thinking of Cronenberg and the Cronenberg monsters. It's problematic. Like I just see the fly every time I see his name. <laughs> so yeah, that I, that's that's my reality that I have to live with. But yeah. I I think Cronenworth gives Williams a run for his money. However, Williams' performance was historic, even in a sixty game season. 
So I do think he has a strong likelihood to win. Also, when so as I was writing the nomination article for Brew Crew Ball, I, I went back and looked at other relievers who'd been named. There is a wave of them in twenty like twenty eleven stops with Kimbrel, and before that, there's just a wave of relievers who are currently uh, exiting their usefulness, but have been like the dominant names in their career for the last few seasons who won rookie of the year before that. It's actually kind of amazing that it's been almost a decade since that award's actually been won by a reliever. When you give up one run and eight hits all season, it's hard to deny how fantastic you were. And even though Cronenworth has a larger war than Williams does, I think even the antiquated analysts who decide these awards can understand that a reliever is always going to have less production than a everyday player, but it's hard to, but you need to kind of boost that up. And he was better than the reigning reliever of the year as a rookie. He won reliever of the year. I think there's a lot that goes into just how great his performance was. And he'll be the first receiver of rookie of the year votes for a Brewers member since Nori Aoki. Yeah, you had a lot of fun with that on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it is amazing the amount of God that Ryan Braun won rookie of the year. Yeah, that was a little uh, concerning. <laughs> People were like, Prince Fielder. I was like, okay, well, he played, he was like a rookie in what, 2004, 2005? He came up in 2004, but his rookie season was 2005, the last year with Carlos Lee, right? So <laughs> I think someone played after that. I think there was a man who may have won a rookie of the year. <laughs> Yeah, so interesting that so many people just couldn't get that. But yeah, it's uh, in between Devin Williams and Ryan Braun, Casey McGahey and Nori Aoki are the only two brewers to receive votes, which I thought a few others had. I, I couldn't believe that. Uh, yeah, that's surprising to me because Aoki, yeah. Aoki played like, what was that, like 13, 2014? I don't even remember when he was 2012. 2012. 2012. I was off by a year, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's really interesting. Yeah. I I totally forgot that Keston Hira didn't get votes, but he was also up and down a lot and was hurt. And he and I mean, look at the he was going against Pete Alonso. Yeah, it was last it, year with a historically stacked National League field. So in Fernando Fernando Tatis Jr. Yeah, and they only get is it five vote spots for the Rookie of the Year? I forget how many slots they get. I, I think I it's think, only three. Yeah, I think it's three. I think it's five for MVP and Cy Young. Nope, MVP is 10. I think Cy Young is five now. I think they expanded Cy Young. Yeah. Whatever. I just look at the top three names. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I guess we'll see what happens with Devin Williams. Either way, uh, already has some hardware. We'll see if he adds to it this week. Time for some Patreon questions now. Got a few to get to. First one comes from Brian Polakowski. Uh, it's about the Brewers TV deal. So he says uh, Sinclair Media owns all of the uh, Fox Sports regional networks kind of in the news in the last week because they are hemorrhaging money, basically. And they blame a lot of that on the uh, regional sports networks that they bought from Disney last year for like $10 billion. And so it turns out it was a bad time to buy a bunch of sports networks because <laughs> there weren't sports for the first half of the year. So without getting too into the weeds on... TV rights, negotiations, all that stuff. Chances are you've seen Fox Sports Wisconsin disappear off your streaming service of choice because one by one, those deals end. And Sinclair is uh, basically, from what I'm gathering, asking a ridiculous amount because they lost so much money and all the carriers are like, that's insane. Uh, Anyway, Brian's asking, uh, 
how do you think all of this will affect the Brewers' next TV deal? So, you know, it's talked about a lot. The Brewers historically have had one of the worst paying TV deals in terms of uh, team revenue. I think it's about to come up soon. Yeah, it ran through 2020, I believe. Okay, cool. Uh, So not a great time to be negotiating a new TV deal either, given everything. You know, advertisers aren't willing to advertise as much. (laughs) If there's not games being played, why do you pay so much for a sports network? That kind of thing. So I guess, Brad, are you worried at all how this could affect the Brewers' next TV deal? I think the Brewers are always going to get the short end of the stick anyway. I think people can really leverage them being the smallest media market against them. It's kind of a Mm -hmm. bummer. Uh, They are going to get an upgrade, though, that is going to help them be more competitive. Regardless of what happens, they can't, they're not going to sign, they're not signing when they're historically bad. They're signing as a good team who's made the playoff the last three times. They undoubtedly need to get a raise. It's just how much will that money be? And could they get as much as if this had been happening after 2019 when you have a player like Christian Yelich go off? The, the team makes a wild card versus coming off a sh- third of a season where all your players played kind of bad and you squeaked into the playoffs. Regardless, they are a team that gets a lot of attention. However, Sinclair has been a bunch of babies lately. Other people can play for those rights. So it depends on what the market builds like. It's hard to really see a market around here. Maybe Spectrum News really, really wants to take over exclusivity. That was going to be my question is, who's the alternative? Is there an alternative? I mean, I, I kind of... I mean, it's not like there's a Root Sports or anything like that in the Midwest. Um, right. We don't really have an alternative. Spectrum or somebody else saying, hey, we'll jump into this market. Because... Yeah, like Brad said, even though the Brewers are the smallest media market in the league, they historically put up really good TV ratings, especially relative to their size. They do. Um, so there's there's an audience there. There's obviously an audience. There's a desire to see this team on television. It's just getting increasingly difficult to find an option. It's you know they're off of YouTube TV now. They're off of Hulu now. They're off of hey, Sling. They're TV still on now. Hulu. <laughs> are they oh yes. they weren't one of the ones that got dropped by hulu then not in the yet last couple of weeks not yet um they, oh boy did they get dropped by hulu network. in the last couple of weeks did i lose it not even know oh no you guys are gonna listen well, I mean, to this live. that's the thing you wouldn't know because would you have been watching it i mean at no. least there was some random college football game you wanted to see <laughs> right oh, uh, no. but oh, point no. being like they, they've been off dish network for like a year and a half, my parents haven't been able no! to watch the uh, Guys, I just, I just, they're off them. Hulu. <laughs> yeah, I, that's what I thought. There was, yeah, that was the latest development, like the last week or two, uh, including Yes Network also off of Hulu, which is a huge deal. In oh, New wow. York, that so. is, yeah. <laughs> um, well, so, and good news, I'm going to save some money because that was really exclusively the only reason we had Hulu. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. I, actually had to go and upgrade my spectrum just to get the the streaming there because they're one of the few you can do like uh the digital app right now for like spectrum right you don't need to actually yeah so yeah maybe i'll do i don't want to give spectrum more money i mean at the same time like the cost of youtube tv and hulu and everything have been going up to the point where you may as well just get the cable more people that decided to start doing the the cord cutting and Yeah, that it's that was always going to be that way. We've never left cable. We've always been cable. So 
Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it is pretty funny that now I'm paying fifty bucks for I was like, well, I'm not gonna pay 120 bucks for uh my internet and TV again. And it's 70 bucks for Hulu, 50 yeah. bucks for exactly. like got 20 for Netflix, <laughs> all of that. Yeah. It, well, most of I mean, you gotta get on the exchange, James. Mm, yeah. The, you know, so and so get your Hulu, you get yeah. your network, yeah. Exactly. An intricate web. Yeah. If anyone wants to hook me up with HBO Max, let me know. Um, <laughs> actually, actually, I got you. <laughs> Legitimately. <laughs> so, so do I delete this or not? <laughs> uh, we, can we can we edit this out in post? Is that is that illegal? I don't know. Uh, moving on, another Patreon question. This one from Adam Post. He goes, "What was the deal with the crane at Miller Park earlier this week?" So. Uh, is this a Seinfeld in 2020 question? What's the deal? With the, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You might have seen a couple of pictures floating around on Twitter. I, I know Kyle from Brew Crew Ball snapped one of a crane outside of Miller Park earlier this week. I guess I don't know exactly what it could be, but Brad, you were talking, doing some improvements to like the motor or the, the roof or something, right? So maybe it's mechanical in that way. Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of good reasons to have a crane out there right now. There's, of course, the new signage that needs to go up, which you brought up pre-show, James. But also the uh, board who governs the upgrades for Miller Park approved a drivetrain repair because it only has a 20 or so year lifespan on it. So it needed an upgrade. So they could be starting the process of upgrading the roof. I wouldn't worry about it unless, of course, they're putting out the statue of 2020 hero daniel vogelbach which right. we all expect to come every sense. day now so you might see if you see also a giant rectangle standing in place uh with a wooden box over it which is normally how they do those revealings then you know okay they put the vogelbach statue out finally i get it that's yeah. fine that uh, other than that i would just guess it's standard maintenance and not be too concerned about it because, again, either they're putting up signage, which I don't think will happen until January, or they're fixing the drivetrain, which we know was a coming player and is almost definitely what has happened. Yeah. All yeah. Right. I mean, they did have to do significant work after the first few years the park was open because they were opening and closing the roof like every game a bunch of times for <laughs> yeah, and playing that the 2001 uh, a Space Odyssey theme, all that. Uh, they were yeah. so it they had to replace the ball like bearings. a reason to come to the park a reason to come to the park was to watch the damn roof open and close well, it was. i mean at the time like I mean, everybody's like crap, whoa so yeah you guys all see the roof close yeah <laughs> <laughs> we're joking but I, I i remember like the first couple of games i went there i was like how do i get to see the roof move and yes, that's like a was... highlight of the miller park tour is like Le- eh? i ha- i have a legitimate <laughs> memory of that too <laughs> oh, I was super thrilled. We went to the Sky Dome in 1994 and saw the roof open. We were eating at the Hard Rock Cafe before the game, and we saw them open the roof up ahead of the, the game. And it was, we were like, oh, this is so cool. And you have to know, Sky Dome, like, if you think Miller Park's roof opens slowly, Sky Dome moves at uh, a, a snail's pace compared to that. Like, it takes them, I think, over an hour to, to completely open that thing. So you just sit there yeah. and it's like barely moving and you go, oh, yeah, it moved again a little bit. <laughs> that that was my favorite thing about watching the Miller Park roof close. Even to this day, we, like I look up at it and it's like, I think they're closing the roof. Maybe. <laughs> Am I like imagine you like some I doubt myself and imagine <laughs> like whether it's actually moved until it gets to a certain panel length. And then you can definitely notice the like panel sliding apart. Yep. But when it first starts, you're like, 
am I imagining this or is it, are they closing it because it is humid as hell in here and I do not want to die today in Miller Park. The Schwitz is about to be on again. Ah, the Schwitz. Bring on the Schwitz. I, back in episode title. Yeah. Uh, pro advice for when fans can come back to Miller Park. If the Schwitz is on, there is always central air in the team stores. Yes, that is its key. We, uh, we're in 422, and the team store is right behind that section. Mm-hmm. And my, uh, my lovely wife has taken advantage of that on numerous occasions and has gone and, <laughs> and, and quote unquote shopped <laughs> for like 20 minutes just to cool down just a little bit. Thing. Yeah, yeah. My, I might have told the story on the pod before, but uh, on the July Fourth game, the Keon robs the home run. Nate Orff hits the home run game. It was hot as all get out in there, and they had the roof closed. And I was standing in the team store in the baby section, but it was like right under the air conditioning. And my mom comes over and is like, "Are you trying to tell me something?" I was like, "No, it's just hot." Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you have told that story before, but it's still a good one. It's always <laughs> like, no, classic. mom, no. <laughs> No, no babies, <laughs> just air conditioning, <laughs> yeah. which is much more important in my life anyway. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. One last Patreon question. This one comes from Luke Zimmerman. Uh, he's asking, do we have any solid leads or rumors on what the Brewers minor league affiliate lineup will look like for 2021? In particular, is there an idea about the triple A location? Uh, Ryan, you want to take this one? Yeah. yeah. So first off, I don't think I don't know what the current contract status is with the Rattlers, but they're not going anywhere. That that is too good a relationship and it's mutually beneficial for both of them to have that team there. And that's not going anywhere. So don't expect any change there. Uh, the Brewers own the Mudcats, so that's yeah. not changing. So I'm surprised they haven't tried to buy the, the Rattlers yet, but yeah, I mean, knows? maybe they just don't have any need to because it, it's, they were having so much trouble getting a, an affiliate that they could just stay with. Yeah. Uh, that when they got the Mudcats, like it, I think that's a big part of why they did that. They were just sick of dealing with trying to find something in high A because you were always at risk of getting shunted out to the Cal League. And Mm -hmm. my God, yeah, like the Brewers were at high desert for a while and that did not go so well for pitching development. So (laughs) uh, to the point where they got high desert isn't even an affiliate in the Cal League anymore. They're gone. They moved someplace else to independent ball or something. So that does leave the Shuckers at double A and Bloxy Shuckers and the San Antonio Missions, both of whom had their contracts run out this year. Here's the deal. Right now, MLB is still negotiating with MILB on this, and it is a tense negotiation, and it has gone where they're more negotiating now with the individual teams. MLB is negotiating with the teams as opposed to MILB as an organization. So this is a a big fight over what is going to happen there. There's already been some things. The Sally League has already committed to becoming a summer wood bat league. Like we're, we've already seen changes in that. There's a really good podcast, uh, the Baseball America podcast, JJ Cooper, one of the in the last week or so, they talked about this and gave a good update on what was going on with this. So if you're really interested in the subject, I would highly recommend listening to that. Uh, because it's very interesting. But yeah, the Brewers do not have currently deals with uh, a double A or a triple A affiliate. And so there's going to be possibly some shuffling going on there. It all depends on what happens with the with this deal. I mean, it's a completely messed up time for the the relationship between minor league baseball and major league baseball. And that relationship is being redefined as we speak. So 
I think that before we find out anything about what's going to happen with our affiliation, that's going to have to get settled. And it sounds like that's going to be done sort of in in due course here. It's it's coming and it's going to involve a lot of teams that were formerly affiliated not being affiliated anymore and entire levels of the minor leagues going. Yeah, I, I think you can pretty safely say goodbye to the Smokies. Which is a, a, a bummer, or is that what they were? God, why am I forgetting their name? Uh, oh, you're talking about Smokies. Colorado? Yeah, yeah, Colorado Springs. That oh. was the vibe. Oh, they, the vibe, the vibe. Yeah. Oh my God. I, you know why I said Smokies Bra. is because I was thinking of Smokey, their mascot, the uh, toasted marshmallow. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> that was a great logo. Yeah. Not as good as the Shankala uh, guys. Not as good as the Shankala. I think the Biloxi structures are pretty safe, depending on when this organization. That is a group that the brew. We talk about the relationship they have with Timber Rattlers being a good one. Mm-hmm. The Shuckers. I mean, we're talking about from Huntsville. It's a twenty-plus year relationship that they're going on, where they have a pretty good and they helped get that new stadium in Biloxi. I think there's a lot of self appreciation for what the Brewers have done and the. Uh, interest that they've held to bring to that double a team where i i don't worry too much about that relationship and what it's going to look like however triple a has been a terrifying carousel of player development issues over the last few years so it'll be interesting to see what comes with that like ryan says we don't really have anything coming as yet because it's all going to hinge on what this deal looks like uh once mlb takes over control of the organization it's going to have a a different way it's run and managed that could even consider like change the way player development contracts are handled for these locations. I think so, that's part of this deal is they want to end the the craziness of the shuffling yeah. and want to make it a more stable relationship. Right. Yeah, I think that's 100% accurate. I think there's even a desire to bring in uh, teams closer to the regions of which they play. So the Brewers don't have to worry about bringing someone from the West Coast to the East Coast for when they need to fill in a player or even driving them up to Miller Park. You know, you've heard about when they were at Colorado Springs, there were were stories where coaches would hop in cars and drive uh, eight hours so the player could sleep in the car and the coach could get them to the game on time because there were no flights that they could book. Like insane stories like that where that could be resolved that they're at an Illinois club or if they're playing at the new Beloit Snappers Stadium which they are not going to take over the Bloyd snappers. I'm just giving baseless examples of uh, the better access they could have in regional settings. So I think there's mutual interest in with MLB and the owners in that uh, for functional reasons. So there, there's a lot that I think is going to change in how these go going forward once this agreement's done. And we're going to see it get settled here. The only reason I can see the Brewers not going to back to Biloxi is if it's for a reason, like I already mentioned, where maybe it makes more sense for a team to regionally have their double A team that close and the, the they can come to a mutual agreement where, okay, it's a better long-term relationship for the Brewers to go here based on just where they're located and make also this movement between levels easier for the players. Uh, but in terms of just relationship there, I think that's relationship we can expect to continue. And I think everyone's pretty happy continuing. They're a fun team to watch and they run well. Yeah, I think another question, too, with all this minor league stuff is like we still don't know if there's going to be minor league baseball at the start of next year. Right. So, I mean, does that factor into it either? Because like a lot of these 
teams are owned by, you know, independent owners and they're struggling financially too. So aside from possibly some teams folding financially, there's, we don't know where the virus situation is going to be in the spring Mm -hmm. or if they're going to be able to even minor league baseball it's hard to run safely in this environment. Major League Baseball just barely got through it by the skin of their teeth. Uh, so I guess that's another question to think about, too. I'm getting less and less worried about it as the country seems to care less and less. More and yeah, more I'm experiencing people who are like, eh, we locked up. I'm going stir crazy. Let's go back to it. So I, I think, especially as states start to do like capacity limitations, you're almost just going to be expected to follow the rules of your state and operate under that. They're just going to let it be a free-for-all, especially as we can have positive tests the day of an NFL game and still play an NFL game. It just goes to show me, for some reason, people are caring less and less. So I get less and less worried about losing sports as more of that comes up. And more and more worried about everything else. Yeah, especially as we can jump from 6,000 to 7,000 cases in a day. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess we'll just see how how that shakes out. But that's all of our Patreon questions this week. We do have a new patron. We Well, kind of new patron, I guess we want to shout out. Is that right, Ryan? Yeah, Jeremy Moen. Welcome back. Another uh, person who had left and, and decided to come back. We definitely appreciate that. And, uh, and thanks for that, Jeremy. Enjoy the yeah. uh, back episodes of of the minor league extra and yeah we we do owe you an october minor league extra uh brad and i'll be discussing that and figuring out how we're going to do that we'll get you a an october and a november and we'll we'll catch up to you eventually <laughs> right as uh teams start to, or as uh organizations start to release their updated lists and stuff we have uh some people on tap who we can go to as interviews and we think are going to be interesting discussions for you absolutely so be on the lookout for that uh, in the meantime, if you're not a patron already, you can sign up. Uh, just go to patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Like we said at the top, $5 a month gets you those minor league extra podcasts, as well as uh, question priority here on this show and on uh, the Packers reporting as eligible podcast. You also get Paul's Packers previews every week. So that's quite a bit of content and perks for five bucks a month. So check that out if you can. Uh, in the meantime, we also put out a call for questions on Twitter every week. Our account there is at MKE Tailgate. You can always just reply to that tweet with your question, or you can follow each of us individually. Ryan is at RD Top. Brad is at Brew Crew Blue. Paul is at Badger Noonan. And I'm at James L. James with a Y. Oh, does that have a Y? With a Y. Okay. Is that a Y? Yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 it is. People are listening to this, Ryan. They don't know how <laughs> where, to spell my name. Where, it's weird. Where, where does the Y go, James? I, I don't know. It's, it's, just, it's just there, like Lance Nix. Anyway, <laughs> if you haven't already, please do subscribe to our podcast, too, while you're at it. That can be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Please hit that subscribe button. You'll get a push alert every time we upload the new episode overnight. Uh, in the meantime, too, while you're there, please do leave us a review. It'll help other people find the podcast as well. In the meantime, uh, we're going to wrap things up here. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. We'll see you next week. Stay well, and uh, see you next time on Milwaukee Tailgate.
Why is it pronounced Lance, not Lance? <laughs> That's staying in. <laughs> it's not James, it's Jams. <laughs>